1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the
2: unexplained,
1: and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing, And with me to the east, in the land of the red dragon, the gold standard in ghost hunting himself, Mr. Stephen Parsons.
3: Good afternoon, Ron. That was That was a shorter intro than usual. You um, called me out there because normally it like takes about five minutes these days. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, uh, we will change it up a little bit this uh, time. We're going to yeah. talk about UFOs. Yeah, how cool is that? And not only uh, just talk about UFOs, but uh, you know we have New England's own Van Helsing. We have what you keep calling the Gold Standard. Well, Actually, it was a Wall Street Journal, wasn't it? Called the Gold Standard and Ghost something, and we have the Gold Standard. In UFO researches, because tonight we're going to be talking things from, well, possibly another planet, or possibly really? not, with um, Gary Hasseltine. <laughs> when he pops back on, Gary Hasseltown, he's just momentarily been abducted midway through the introduction. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, Gary is... Uh, Possibly one of the leading researchers um, into UFO phenomena um, uh, beyond the UK, beyond the UK. Really? Hello. Uh, I... Hello, and uh, yeah. has now has now been unabducted and has now rejoined us. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were just calling you the gold standard in really? UFO researchers.
4: Well, that's very kind of you. I dare to see what the silver was.
3: <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, he's not a researcher, he's He's just a conference junkie. Wow. So, Gary, do you want to, uh, for the benefit of those who haven't already read your website, or do you want to just bring us up to speed on a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this unusual and interesting field of research?
4: Yeah, no problem. Um, Well, my story really begins with a UFO sighting as a teenager in my hometown of Scunthorpe, a strange light that appeared to trigger a number of uh, power cuts in the area. Uh, I moved to a second geographical position and uh, was almost able to predict to the very second when the object passed over my house um, a power cut, which is ridiculous. How could I do that? So I figured at that point that that uh, object... It interacted with the power grid. Um, cutting a long story short, uh, I joined the police when I was uh, 29. I've been in the air force, police for six years, uh, and then when I joined the police, within uh, three four years, I was then a detective constable, uh, and I had a 24 year service career. Most of my time as a detective constable didn't want to go higher. Uh, but in terms of UFOs, um, basically uh, uh, in 2002. I created a uh, unofficial national database for police officers uh, reporting UFOs, and it was called the Proof Force Police Database. Proof Force standing for police reporting UFOs. Uh, and uh, basically, I started with six cases involving half a dozen officers, and now, um, uh, 12 years later, um, I now have over 450 cases, all involving over 950. British police officers so that's a hell of a jump as a result of doing uh, the database uh, the UFO community then asked me to start doing lectures something I'd never done before Uh, and gradually as time's gone on I've become more well known and the last three or four years I've started to do international lectures around the world and uh, I retired in March 2013 to launch a, uh, a online e-zine called UFO Truth Magazine, um, which is uk, which uh, features many of the top researchers who I've met over the last 12 years of my research and the ones I really respected. I asked, would you give your time freely to write articles for a bi-monthly 96-page magazine? And they all said yes. So um, you've got the likes of Steve Bassett, Richard Dolan, A.J. Givard, Roberto uh, Pinotti, uh, Susan Hansen in New Zealand, uh, Bill Chalker in Australia, Mary Rodwell in Australia, P. Nudson in Denmark, uh, Robert Hastings has written, uh, Robert Salas, Peter Robbins, he's a regular columnist. So we've pretty much featured all the top people. And uh, it launched in June last year and uh, we're now six issues just celebrating our first year anniversary so time has flown uh, so that's my basic uh, introduction so still got the police database but i also am now the editor and founder of ufo, UFO truth magazine
3: do you uh, sorry ron we you... yes i was going to say something but that's that's all right i mean uh, now go on go on i've paused I breathe
1: now. I mean, you had this this experience uh, with this UFO going over. I mean, did you know it was what it was, or is it? did you really investigate and start thinking about it, or did you just say, oh, that was a UFO, therefore?
4: No, I, I uh, all I saw was a... Uh... No, 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 it, it didn't work like that. Basically, I had no interest in the subject up until that point. Okay. Uh, I was then 15 in a suburb of Scunthorpe called Ashby, which was where I lived. Uh, I was walking my then-girlfriend home. It was a lovely, warm summer's evening, not a cloud in the sky. One of those rare nights in the UK, there's not a cloud (laughs) in the sky. And the stars are all out and twinkling away uh, as we're along a narrow footpath uh, that's uh, dividing my comprehensive school fields on the left. Uh, If you can imagine walking forward, comprehensive school fields on my left and on the right-hand side uh, was uh, a large allotment, and uh, we could see housing in the distance. And we both uh, noticed uh, this very bright white light, much bigger than the background stars, I would say, perhaps at a 60-degree elevation, and uh, probably no... Oh, no.
1: No. Not a
4: noise, nothing. Uh, but as soon as it went past us, the whole area, in terms of the housing in the distance that we could see at the end of of the long alleyway, was plunged into darkness with a power cut. Now I had my cycle with me at the time, and uh, so what I decided to do is. Uh, ask her to get on the crossbar, and two of us on the bike, I literally uh, rode her, dropped her off at her house, which was not far from the end of the alleyway, and then rode like mad, um, taking the shortcut, i.e. the same um, footpath we'd been on, and eventually get ahead of the light, because it's moving very slowly and arcing in a general direction of where I actually lived, and so I happened to take the shortcut and got ahead of the light just near to my home, I rushed into my parents' house and uh, into the living room, and they were having a cup of tea, supper time, and they bas- I, I basically said, come outside, I think there's going to be a power cut caused by this strange light. They looked at me absolutely bemused, as you would. They didn't get up, so I ran through the hall, through the kitchen, through uh, out the back door into the garden, turned back towards my semi-detached house, just in time to see the object now coming over the rooftop. I put my arm straight above my head, and as soon as the object went beyond my arm, as in I was then behind it, the whole area was plunged into darkness. And mm. and I figure, uh, how could I predict a power cut? So that object, having moved to a second position, had to have influenced something. So that's really how it all started. No interest up to that point.
1: Okay. And so you were 15 at the time, but when did you really get serious into it? I mean, was, did, after that, did you just start doing research on it? or
4: No, no, uh, no. I mean, we weren't on the phone. It's 1975. We weren't on the phone. The nearest phone was a public phone, uh, about a five-minute walk away. Mm-hmm. My parents just put it down to coincidence. They didn't believe it at all. And I I didn't even uh, look in the newspapers. I didn't even do anything. Um, But it stayed with me because the only thing that I could do was uh, go to my local second-hand bookshop and um, uh, look for any books on UFOs, flying saucers. And the first book uh, I came across was a book by Major Donald Kehoe, who turns out to be one of the very famous pioneers of the subject. He wrote five Books and he was military and, and and he quoted loads of pilot cases, which I was fascinated by. So for two or three years, I I kind of read all the books that I could find, uh, joined Beaufort, a British UFO Research Association, as a, uh, a non a non investigator, just an associate member. Didn't actually do any investigation. Once went to a, a UFO uh, group in uh, in in Skontor, where I lived, but didn't really. Th- find that interesting so basically i was just like an aunt armed... but it wasn't really until the mid 1990s when i was then a police officer when on leeds city railway station i happened to come across in wh smith's um this glossy magazine called ufo magazine which was a, turned out to be a very famous publication by graham Birdsell. Um, and uh, it was very scientifically based it was non sensationalistic and uh, I just thought, well
1: let we cut out runners? is he cut out? I think he's cut out. oh, uh, we yeah. lost him. oh,
3: dad. That's all right, it'll come back again in a minute. But it's it's, it's quite interesting. Yep, you're was, back. Uh, oh there you go. Sorry. <laughs> Keep going.
4: I didn't I didn't even know you cut out then. <laughs> oh
3: yeah. Oh, only yeah. briefly. Only briefly.
4: Right. So so basically, um uh I I I I basically was away from the subject for a long time. That magazine reawakened it. And I got all the new books that had been written in that 18 intervening 18 year period and uh reacquainted myself. And it was a question of I wanted to get involved, and cutting a long story short, I then had the idea it was actually a dream. Uh, I woke up, create a database for police officers because they say write about what you know, and so basically that's what I did, and uh, it started. With uh, the January 2002 issue of UFO magazine, uh, because Graham Birdsell so kindly allowed me to write an article uh, to announce the launch of the database, and straight away, generally retired officers came forward um, with their stories, and uh,
3: that's what happened.
1: Okay,
3: do you do you find that, i mean do you apply uh, the methods from your police career uh, towards the the investigation and the compiling of the database
4: well i think i think it's a, a bit of a misnomer in the sense that most i should say 75% of the cases that come to me uh, from p- police officers direct to me are historical so in a sense, how do you investigate something that happened 25 years ago? Uh, it's basically uh, uh, an account given by a police officer who I check out and make sure they are what they say they are, and there's various things that I could do to, to verify who they were. But once I, I was satisfied that they were police officers, then uh, basically I would get them to sw- sign a, a sworn declaration, and statement, um, and where possible... Uh, where other officers were involved, then obviously I would seek corroboration from the other officers get them to fill in uh, my sighting report form and things like that. But yet yeah, the majority of sightings uh, are always historical. So in a sense, I would say uh, that I would have classed myself as a researcher, not an investigator, because how can you really investigate things from 25, 20 years ago? You can't. So you're a researcher. Uh, Now, what I would say is that um, now I've retired from the police. I retired six years early to create the magazine because I felt there was a need to do it. Um, uh, Now I'm can, more freely able to investigate should a really good case come up. So I'm now... researcher stroke investigator but I think really the database is is uh, I was a researcher more than an investigator Mm -hmm. but yes where corroboration was possible you get that where there was any photographic evidence you get that Uh, you try to visit the scene if it's uh, relatively nearby etc etc so yeah I applied the same mythology uh, uh, Uh as in as in policing terms Uh, but as I said more mainly it was more as a researcher The vast majority of police officers were retired uh, or are retired. Uh, Occasionally you'll get a serving police officer and they instinctively, for fear of ridicule and a risk to their career, they ask for anonymity. But as long as they prove who they are to me, I'm happy to give them that uh, anonymity uh, because the press have their own sources. Well, I've got mine as long as I have checked them out. So... So that's the, the state of play. And literally, mm-hmm. uh, as the years have gone by, it's, it's generally grown about 40 to 50 cases a year involving about 100 police officers. So it, it's risen uh, significantly. And uh, I'm now just embarking on a book about the police officers. And there will be, I think it will top a 1,000 police officers by the time I've finished my current mm-hmm. research. Mm-hmm.
3: Do do police officers, in your opinion, make uh, better witnesses than, say, an ordinary lay member of the public?
4: Well, I guess you'd expect me to say yes, and I think they do. Not to say that they can't be mistaken, because everybody can make mistakes, Uh, but what you've got to understand that uh, police officers are a pretty strange bunch with a unique sense of humour, a black sense of humour, and uh, basically... (laughs) They are taught from the day they join the job uh, in how to collect and report evidence in a chronological, logical fashion. Mm-hmm. So, for court, so everything that a police officer does, uniform, CID, is always in the mind of this is going to be read out in court. So, they know visually they're aware of the senses, telephone, the, the, you know, it's not just their eyes, it's their ears, the senses, smell. So, yes, I would say that with that training they are um, better than a member of the public, mm-hmm. but that's not to say a member of the public can't be very good. Of course they can. But one of the things that's striking about the database is the fact that um, seventy, about 71% of all the cases on the database are uh, multiple police officer. So you end up with a situation where many police officers are reporting the same object, but often from different geographical vantage points. So quite clearly things are very real in the sky. You've then got to determine as best you can what you think that object is. Uh, and that's, that's where, I, where, really where I apply a process of elimination.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I was actually going to – in my next question, Gary, was that – and, you know, in, in ghost hunting and investigating and so forth, they they always try to debunk things, and, and I hate that term, by the way. Uh, but do you – since you've got a database, uh, do you, you know, look, okay, this is a natural occurrence, and, and it gives off this signature, and, and we're seeing this footage, and it's very similar to this, and so do you kind of like discount that one? And, and vice versa, if you have a case – where you have the same signature, and many times do you classify them in, in different, you know, uh, categories?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I use the uh, the Heineck uh, um, guide of nocturnal lights, uh, daytime disc, uh, um, close encounter first, second and third, just for classification. So the sightings generally are, Uh, put into a classification, Uh, but each case is weighed up on its merits and uh, so basically um, I I just look at each case on its merits, but what you've got to understand is because I'm now 54 and I decided at 15 that means for the last uh, 39 years I've been following the subject, so pretty much historically wise, I guess I'm a bit of an historian as well and know all the salient points about the history, and therefore, if you look at the history of UFOs, there are many common characteristics uh that I would say, well, I think there's about seven or eight common characteristics now that you can historically say would point towards non-terrestrial, as in um, non-conventional flying objects, i.e. I. aeroplane, helicopter, etc., and and I think that's quite clear now, uh, looking at the history of the subject.
1: Okay, I,
3: yeah. I've got to, um, I've got to, just want to borrow a, bit, a minute or two of Gary's time because we've got five or seven minutes before the ads. To, because I live in in West Wales, I live very close to a town called Broadhaven, uh, which is I I think almost a, a place of renown amongst ufologists and centre of the Welsh Triangle. Uh, from a very famous sighting that goes back to 1977, uh, which which sort of put this area on the map. Um, it's about the only thing that did, apart from the the holiday beaches. Gary, are you aware of? Uh, I'm sure you are aware of the, of the Broadhaven case.
4: Yeah, I'm aware of that, and uh, and obviously Berwyn Mountains uh, is is obviously a famous Welsh case uh, and very good case, uh,
3: both good cases. Do you I mean I, I was just going through the through your database and then comparing it to the, the West Wales or what's called the, the Welsh Triangle case. Um and now I know from from uh, speaking to some of the, the original school children who are now of course well into adulthood that uh, some of the sightings were made by uh serving police officers who don't appear to have made reports to your database, uh which I find uh, I think that's it's just just I think you 've just dropped off for a minute there while I was asking the question yep, so i 'll just wait for, briefly while we wait to get Gary back back in 1977, uh, out here in West Wales. A group of school children in the February um, reported to their the head teacher that a large silver cigar shaped uFO had landed in the fields behind the school, and initially they were disbelieved. Um, however, they, they actually petitioned the, the, uh, the, the local police station, uh, and the head teacher took it slightly more seriously. He asked them to write down their accounts and to draw pictures of, uh, what they'd seen. And to his amazement, there was a, quite a strong similarity between, between the accounts. Um, in, somewhat inevitably, as the local media picked it up, it turned out that there was, there was quite a number of sightings around the area. Most interestingly, they seemed to be centred around a, a quite a small, remote, very remote uh, Welsh farm uh, where the farmer, his wife and their five children had reported numerous close encounters with not just the UFOs themselves but the occupants who left a trail of burnt out cars, blew up the television – uh, used co- copious amounts of electricity, so we're going back to the... I think Gary's going to come back in a minute, hopefully. Um, and, in fact, the family had had a sighting on an almost daily occasion. Um, some of them were quite bizarre. Uh, it, it involved relocation of entire herds of cows on a nightly basis. Uh, the the farmer would uh, secure the animals, would secure the gates, and within a minute or so, the the whole herd... Was found transplanted to a field hundreds of hundreds of yards away, with no logical explanation ever discovered for it. Mm. I think the most bizarre account comes from uh, during the April, I think, of 1977, as a couple were watching a late-night movie after working, you know, on the farm all day. Uh, a seven-foot-tall silver space-suited figure with a blank masked out face appeared in the window uh, staring in at the window towards them Mm -hmm. Um, and this is where they made the 999 call which the police responded to Um, and in fact the the policeman who who responded said in uh, I think some years later that it was in his 26 years of police service the most frightened family he'd ever seen and that there was no doubt that they'd seen something unusual that night at the farm and in fact Large foot pr- uh, footprints were found uh, in the flower bed beneath the wind um, It really was, you know, one of those landmark cases. And of course, uh, you know, <laughs> I have enough trouble dealing with the dead, but living mm-hmm. so close, so close to this uh, very famous UFO case, and there are—oh, let me ask you this: I mean, you live so close a to a number it. of similarities between UFOs have and parapsychology. Seen,
1: have you seen anything
3: uh, since you've been living there? no and but interestingly a lot of uh, the reports still do come in our our local papers do still carry accounts of lights in the sky only quite recently um i'll be honest with you i it it's purely because it's uh you know i, I tend to specialize and so i i read the the articles, and I've got the books, but it's not something I spend a great deal of time doing. I was fortunate some some years ago to meet several of the school children who, as I said before, are now well into adulthood, and they remain adamant to this day. What they saw was uh, genuine. It wasn't a farm vehicle, as had been suggested. It wasn't um, a mistake. But... There are anomalies within this account. It's not just clear cut. The family involved, for example, at the farmhouse, um, particularly the wife. A number of uh, a year or so before, in a previous uh, in a previous uh, home, the 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 lady, uh, the farmer's wife, had reported seeing uh, the visions of Jesus in the in the uh, in the windows yeah. of the place I'm where she lived.
4: Tired. I've been uh, having problems, but yeah, carry on.
3: So I was just bringing uh, Ron and, and the listeners up to speed on the on the Broadhaven case. Um, and I was actually saying that um, it, it had been reported uh, several times to the police uh, at the time. Um, in fact, uh, a number of 999 calls were made. Um, I was just wondering, that doesn't seem to appear on your prefos database.
4: Well, not unless the, the officers uh, have, have come forward or uh, there's a, a newspaper report that says uh, PC Smith uh, said this, that, and the other, I saw this. Um, the, I mean, if you look, there are, there are many, many cases where, mm-hmm. well, the, in the first instance, most police officers will, uh, most people will report it to the police first unless yeah. they live Near to a military base, and then they'll report it there. Usually, so the police get the first uh, call, but a lot of the time, and certainly historically, uh, it up, it was pretty much up to the officer taking the call as to how serious they dealt with it, and that's mm-hmm. a problem in itself. Now it's much more standardised with big control rooms, um, but basically, um, I, I I think that uh, uh, in all cases, the police. Um, the majority of times will respond, but on um, case won't get onto the database unless this, there's a newspaper report or a police officer has actually said, uh, yeah, I was involved, uh, I saw this, I went to a member of the public, they called us, I went to her house, and then I stood in her garden looking at this strange object. Jeremy, uh, you're not going to
1: believe this, but we have to take a break right now. <laughs> we just get yeah. you back and we're going to take yeah. a break. <laughs> no problem. Sorry, I'm just going to charge that. you my phone. All right. <laughs>
3: okay. Yeah, we, we to have Ghost to Dragon. we have to sell um, aftershave and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> We're listening to Ghost Chronicles next uh, international with Steve Parsons and Ron Kolak and our special guest Gary loose And we'll be right back after the following message. trade right here on Tojeanet Pararex, Planet Paranormal, wherever else.
0: spooky. They all talk gobbly gooky, the Fair family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics
1: are abnormal, the Fair family.
0: They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to to rendezvous, as we give I am brave beyond belief. More yeah, we'll
2: see. Scares me. So, anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron.
0: See you then.
3: There you go. There's the heartbeat, which means we're back for part two of Ghost Chronicles International. Um, and you're listening to us on lots of things, but. Para X, Paranormal Channel. You might be listening to us on iTunes. And tonight, our special guest is Gary Gary Heseltine. and the subject is UFOs. And Gary's created a comprehensive database of police sightings, which were which we we were talking about before the break. I hope. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah I'm still here.
1: Okay.
3: So yeah, yeah, There you go. Yes, see, still working.
1: So, anyways, Gary, uh, is is a ufologist? Do you call yourself that? I assume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's UFO- as good a name as any. It's as good <laughs> So, uh, do you deal with just primarily the sightings of it, or, or do you get into the whole, uh, you know, ancient astronauts and and that type of stuff as well?
4: I'm fascinated by the ancient astronaut stuff, um, but there is, a, uh, there is a clear distinction to me as a police officer uh, mm-hmm. when you look at ancient astronaut stuff. I mean, yeah, it's all very interesting, but you've got to understand is that no matter how good we are, we're never really ever going to know because it's a long time gone you know were the pyramids built by uh, with et help then i don't know uh, it's an interesting assertion it could well be but we're never going to be able to prove it because we can't go back in time mm-hmm. so uh, in in terms of yes i'm fascinated by that by those kind of reports but the reality is that i'm much more grounded in things that happen in in real life now that we can go back you know, and we can really say that over the last sixty, seventy years, you know, we're pretty, pretty accurate. With our well, maybe not accurate, but we have a lot of media reporting in a way that we didn't have two thousand years ago. So, you know, uh, I think there's a big difference. Uh, yes, I'm fascinated, but uh, I'm more interested in the modern era because that's what you can prove. Obviously, because people are still alive, you can get multiple witnesses. You can get ground and trace evidence from the scene, etc., which you couldn't have done, you know, two thousand years ago.
1: Excellent point. With, Excellent
3: point. with With, with regard to uh, reporting, um, has has there been a change in attitude uh, within, say, you know, the the police authorities hmm. to people phoning up or, or or serving officers coming forward and saying? I've had this really unusual experience, I've seen a UFO, compared to when you started the database or when you had your first experience.
4: Well, what you've got to understand is that um, I did this whilst working as a a police officer, uh, and uh, I did it in an unofficial capacity um, with, in a sense, the uh, knowledge and permission from my own force, the British Transport Police. Uh, However, as time went on and... uh, the more and more police officers came forward, I then started to get a, quite a lot of interference from within my own force, and this culminated um, in um, two thousand and late two thousand and nine when the MOD suddenly decided to close its UFO reporting desk, which had run for over fifty years, as a cost part of a cost cutting exercise, or so they claim. Uh, and so I then saw it as an ideal opportunity for me. To write to each of the chief constables and say, you know, would you? This is who I am. This is what I've got with the database. Would you still going to get sightings? Would you consider sending them all to me, and I'll research them in my private capacity, in my off-duty capacity? And initially, that was good. Twenty-four forces said thanks for letting us know, bringing it to our attention. And within a couple of weeks after that, two forces, Humberside, and uh, and uh, Suffolk adopted me as what's called their single point of contact, Spock in police jargon, and which meant that they were going to officially send it to me. But then I got pulled uh, aside by my chief superintendent uh, to say that my chief constable had took a dim view of the fact that uh, another chief constable had ribbed him about uh, one of his officers, i.e. me. And as a result of that, He instigated misconduct hearings and, uh, cutting a long story short, I was under investigation for a year, uh, which resulted in a 12-month written warning just because I wrote this letter to other chief constables, even though it was in an off-duty capacity, making it clear that I was off-duty. And I got done, basically, because I said I was an officer of the British Transport Police, which is ridiculous, because I'd been doing the work a long time by then. I'd been on many radio shows, TV programmes, and you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So they tried to say I was bringing the force into disrepute. I'll never understand how I could do that with a private letter, I could understand if I'd na- chained myself naked to the railings outside <laughs> the Parliament and shouted, um oh, mommy, mommy, at everybody, uh, <laughs> then that wouldn't have looked good. But when I was writing a private letter to chief constables, actually just making them aware, that the MOD had closed the desk and most didn't have a clue, um, I failed to see personally how uh, I could be bringing the force into disrepute. But you can't beat a big organisation. Anybody that's worked for the police will understand that. And you have to what's called gracefully fall on your side and uh, hope that they don't sack you, you basically. And uh, that's what I did, and I ended up getting a 12-month written warning. But as a result of that And it's so, you know, that ran until 2011 and I figured that the writing was on the wall. Um, I'm better off leaving sooner rather than later. And it was then just a question of finances uh, as I sought to uh, Uh establish the magazine elsewhere.
3: We have a question um, actually from the chat room um, from Gina. And it says, you hear about abductions and cattle mutilations. Uh, but why would, Gina Watson, why Why do you think aliens would travel across space in order to just do this? Why don't they just say hi? Uh,
4: well, I think that's a very complicated question in the sense that we've probably been a bit um, uh, naive here in the sense that lots of UFOs are seen coming in and out of water. Uh, reported all over the world so who's to say that when we only know one percent of the oceans that maybe they're here in the deep water caverns of the 99 percent and hence why they come in and are seen in out of water so maybe they're not traveling vast distances maybe they've been here a long time but just don't like to coexist Uh, I don't find it surprising that uh, UFOs suddenly uh, have become more prominent uh, when we start uh, testing nuclear weapons, atomic weapons, and it's no coincidence to me that when t- people talk about Roswell and say people say, you know, you know, why right, Roswell? Well, if you were to put, uh, if you were to pick up a drawing pin and throw it at the globe like a dart, the only place in the entire world uh, in 1947 to have an atomic squadron was surprise, surprise. Roswell, so that's why they turned up. Because maybe they don't like uh, their nice little planet to uh, possibly get blown up, and hence why UFOs are often seen. I believe near nuclear facilities, uh, power stations, um, uh, nuclear bases, that kind of thing. There's a long association all around the world with uh, with that kind of sighting.
1: If if they have this advanced technology, why wouldn't they interfere and and you know like you know neutralize uh, certain areas? Or... Well,
4: I don't, I don't know as daft, as daft as it sounds. When we, I like to uh, equate it to this: when we uh, uh, go to the Great Barrier Reef, uh, we. Uh, We class ourselves as sentient beings, intelligent, and we swim with the fishes, but we don't break off the coral. We watch them in their natural habitat. Well, what if UFOs, aliens, uh, are so far in advance that we're pretty low down on the evolutionary scale, maybe just taking our first primitive steps into a technological age, and maybe we're not quite worthy. And if you think about it, we pretty much... Uh, i 've got wars going on all around the world uh, mm-hmm. so we're probably probably not that nice to meet to be honest, and uh you know people say my well, <laughs> well, if they did they'd probably get shot you know so right. uh, you know there's probably good reasons why they watch and think this is a pretty primitive uh, uh um race of people, uh, and we are we we can't agree on anything. Hardly, so uh, you know, I think there's very good reasons why they don't uh, uh, make themselves known on a big scale. I wish they would, but I, I think there's good
3: reasons why they don't. I'm getting the very distinct impression that you you've, uh, are a strong supporter of the extraterrestrial um, hypothesis.
4: Oh, absolutely, oh, but only... Uh, uh, what you've got to understand is that um, I look at everything in terms of evidence, what would stand up in a court of law... Mm-hmm. And one of the cases that you put often at court is a circumstantial evidence case. You might not have the murder weapon, the gun and the knife, but you still believe you've got the murder suspect. Uh, and the circumstantial evidence case, it can be used for even for the most serious things, murder, etc. And people have been convicted many times of murder uh, without the body actually being found, providing you have enough pieces of the jigsaw. And I would argue that with UFOs, over the last 65, 70 years, when you look at the testimony of military pilots, commercial pilots, astronauts, cosmonauts, scientists, radar operators, uh, observer corps, sonar operators, uh, scientists uh, and police officers, you look at all that very, very best evidence from all around the world, then the circumstantial picture for me is very compelling, that a small proportion, i.e. about 3 Center cases after investigation stand up to scrutiny, and in my opinion with the flight characteristics displayed, instant acceleration, instant stop, uh, hovering silence usually, uh, vertical ascent to speed, vertical descent to speed, right angle turns, reversals in flight usually, uh, and they, they can render themselves visible and invisible. Those kind of characteristics uh, can't do even now, and uh, it's way beyond what we can do. So I, I believe circumstantially, there is a very strong case of saying that a small proportion of UFO sightings indeed are extraterrestrial, and they're engaging planet Earth now.
1: Okay. Now you have a database. Once again, I go back to that because that's how it all started. with your your database, is do you classify types of UFO? I mean, not just you know the sightings of it, but are you able to classify the types of ships, for instance?
4: Well, I, I, again, when you look at uh, ufos in general over the last 60 years the most common ufo sighting that the majority of people will see is just a bright white light undistinguished mm-hmm. shape um usually in silence sometimes a low hum. Uh, but there are a few classic uh um shapes as in uh uh, flying saucer was a uh, original one, but people still see saucers, classic saucers, and then you get Cigar Shape, you'll get Spheres uh, now, and, and, and over the last 30 years or so, a much bigger rise in triangular UFOs. Um, so you, you get all manner of shapes, but they're the four, four biggest shapes uh, other than the bright white light.
3: Okay. Does that suggest to you that there are actually uh, different Ter- extraterrestrials visiting oh, uh, more question. than more than one group of people using different forms of of vehicle because, you know, if we think about the, the way that our space program is developing, we tend to, we're sticking to one design uh, and yet we have different types of alien reporting. We have the greys, the greens, the tall ones. Yeah, no, I, th-
4: I, think it, I think there's a very strong case to say that uh, if you look at all around the world and the various different reports, that it would appear that there are several species, races of uh, aliens that uh, visit this planet. Uh, Now, uh, I have no idea where actually they're from or whatever, but what I'm saying is that certainly based on descriptions and the abduction phenomena and the different, like you say, the greys, the Nordics, etc. Uh, there, there does appear to be commonalities all around the world uh, mm-hmm. that would make you think that uh, that there are numerous species coming here. But I, 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 t- I tend to think that the Earth, why the Earth, is because I think in our little part of the cosmic neighbourhood, uh, we're a bit like an oasis uh, in the desert, uh, that we are so rich in water and diverse in life and fauna that this place is like a jewel in our part of the cosmic neighbourhood and hence why E.T. comes along and observes us and surveils us, much as we would do if we went to the Galapagos Islands, the Great Barrier Reef, we'd watch, but we will not interfere.
3: Mm-hmm. Makes is there sense, any right? suggestion these different species, these different races, um, or in that they're aware of each other, that they're cooperating in some way?
4: Uh, That's a question way beyond my capabilities and I think anybody's capabilities. Maybe uh, there are some uh, hidden people in uh, probably the American uh, administration who might not answer, but I certainly wouldn't, because you've got to understand that I can only operate like you, like yourselves, in what's called the public domain um hmm. me and you are never going to have access to the secret classified intelligence world uh, military no. world and uh, so we'll never know so I operate in the public domain people that have come forward pilots who've said yeah I saw this uh, multiple pilots blah 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 that's the domain that we can operate on what what there is out there what what if any communication there has been over the years who knows
1: Yeah, yep Definitely sense. So you I mean, what do you think we're going with all this? Will we be able to find undisputed proof? I mean, will they ever land somewhere that that we actually can photograph the ships or or even I mean,
4: I I, I think the uh, I think within the next 15 years. Also, there will be some kind of disclosure breakthrough. But that will probably come from the mainstream, uh, which is a shame. Uh, I don't think any UFO researcher or group, UFO group, has the capability of breaking through the media bias that there is to the subject. So I think it would come from mainstream. It will come from mainstream, through radio radio telescopes saying they've picked up a signal at some point. You know, I think there's uh, the Allen Array is about to come online with so many, I think it's about 100 uh, telescopes, radio telescopes, all pointing in the same direction. And they say that within 15, 20 years, once they come online, they will detect a civilized sig- uh, technological system uh, signal. So I think it will come from that. But I've spoke to journalists who will say, that it's not long before there's an admission that they've found microscopic life on Mars, which I think a lot of people already suspect that they have, whether it be bacterial or whatever, there's some kind of microscopic life, ancient or otherwise. And once that happens, then, for me, the first brick in disclosure um, starts coming out of the dam and starts to leak, leak the water through the dam. Because once you admit that there's life, no matter how primitive... Uh, then then that age-old question, of is there life? That's answered, yes. And the odds are then that if you extrapolate the fact that there's two planets going round our sun in a planetary uh, few planets, and they're now saying that with every star there's at least eight to ten planets, so we can't even get your head round the numbers just in our no, own yeah. Milky Way. <laughs> it's just inevitable. But once you admit that there is life and it's actually in our solar system as well, then the odds are that between two and three planets in every, around every star will be in the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold, and probably will have the, uh, the water, etc., to, to, uh, constituents to start life. Now, the question then is, what if life has developed on another planet a 1,000 years ahead of Earth time? What if it's 10,000 years? Well, let's look I mean, at the 1,000-year would we will we in a thousand years from now be riding round in petrol driven cars and uh, jet engines using solid fuels and the answer is no we won't because we will have developed technologies methods of propulsion so this argument that all uh, oh, the distances are so far well you'd have said that a thousand years ago, you couldn't have gone around the the Earth, could you? You couldn't have flown around the Earth. You couldn't have gone into space. Everything reduces as technology develops. So time distances reduce as you know we used to take weeks to cross the oceans now it takes days it used to take hours to, to fly across from one continent to another to days and weeks to cross continents now we can do it in a matter of hours with the fastest plane. so everything reduces so i've no doubt that in a thousand years time we will be in space doing the star trek things no problem uh, oh, so geez. if we're capable of that what if something is a thousand years ahead of us now? They might be doing it to us now.
1: Makes sense, actually. I mean, just in my own lifetime, I've seen so much advances and things that we couldn't dream of uh, when I was young. So I, I,
4: it's, yeah. I think I think that for anybody born, uh, say, from 1950 onwards, we're living in the most amazing technological period of acceleration the world has ever known. Absolutely. and uh, with every year things got even faster uh, i mean you y- you went to uh, the moon uh, supposedly on a-, a couple of megabytes of uh, technological power computer power well now you know in in our just phones we have gigabytes of information it is mm-hmm. just incredible uh, you know we walk Absolutely. around with you know, with uh, um, FaceTime that you can instantly see somebody just on your phone and incredible things all around the world. So to me, uh, we're living in an an amazing period in my life. I was born in 1960, and it's an incredible uh, acceleration of technology. You know, but even only 15 years ago, nobody would have thought that everybody would have a little mobile phone. You know, they were the big bricks and whatever, and look at how... Futureise the now, now and the capabilities that are just out of this world.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, in your opinion, this is—is is there a, a correlation? And this is a little bit away from the technology end of it, but in, once again, in your research, is, is there a correlation between UFOs and crop circles? Uh,
4: yeah, I, I, for me, I, I certainly think under the umbrella of UFOs. Uh, crop circles comes into it uh, in the sense that uh, a lot of strange things have been reported by researchers uh, at crop circles. Um, uh, Small spheres have been seen. uh, There's electrical anomalies. um, There was one police case uh, that didn't get onto the database, but it nearly did, When um, I was told second-hand, a hearsay account by another police officer, as was told to him by his sergeant, that uh, he'd been on mobile. The sergeant and a female officer had been on mobile in Wales, coincidentally. And uh, (laughs) as the sun was coming up, they saw two bright, white lights dancing around in the sky, and as the sun came up, uh, they were then above a uh, newly made crop circle. So, you know, uh, that would have been a great case, but the sergeant wouldn't go on the record, he wanted to put it behind him, and he wouldn't go public, so I couldn't use it. But, uh, you know, I think think you look at animal mutilations, human mutilations, you look at sea mammal mutilations, you look at... uh, um, alien implants—they're all under the umbrella of, uh, of, of the UFO subject. But for the vast majority of people, that's much too frightening if you're not aware of anything. And uh, and and and, you know, I try to lead people into this subject. Uh, through the people on the street that they can associate with, Uh, just to open up their minds, because you can believe in police officers, pilots, people can identify with that, but if you walk down the high street and say, do you believe in alien abductions, then I'm pretty sure the vast majority of people will be off their credibility scale and they'll say you're a mad as a hatter. So it's the way you approach the subject. All very real, but I think the the vast majority of the public um, are not uh, shown the best evidence by the media and there is a very definite correlation between the media dumbing down this subject and keeping people confused.
1: And, and now think- Let's quick quick things, I'm sorry, Stephen. In, in this media-driven society with all our cell phones and cell phone cameras, is there an increased number and of recorded sightings?
4: Yeah, I mean, the <clears throat> mobile phone footage is improving all the time. And again, that might be one of the reasons why you will get this definitive piece of footage that's not CGI uh, coming along within the next few years because the quality of the cameras, even on all mobile phones now, are getting really, really good. So I think it's only a matter of time before we get some really fantastic footage.
3: Go ahead, Stephen. Well, one of the the commonest uh, reasons put forward for disinformation or lack of information from from yeah, there's the bell but from authority it seems to be that we that you know the public would go into a mass panic and that there would be you a know, sort of riots on the streets do, given the you know our, our exposure to movies uh like like independence Day, so, do you really think that would be the case or do you think that we are now ready for this information uh,
4: i i personally think we're now ready i think there was a case in the 40s when this kind of like Broke. I do believe that Roswell was real. I do believe they recovered some kind of crap. Um, I think then the Americans knew, if they didn't know already, that at least one species was surveilling the planet. And uh, so they've known a long time. And I think there were probably very good reasons, i.e. the Cold War, uh, nobody wanted to trigger a Third World War, why it was all kept secret. But then the problem begins that you've started to tell a lie. How do you then tell the truth and for every year Mm. that goes by the lie gets more compounded and i think that
3: i don't know that was an appropriate point to cut him off actually i think maybe uh maybe uh the the your your government are listening tonight
1: oh no it's on your side of the point we all know that (laughs) I think uh, we'll have to say goodbye to him. I to that, that was the bell, which means uh, – Pizza we from just, the uh, dead. Yeah, which means – Pizza uh, from another planet. Oh, I, I do want to thank him for being on the show though. That was Gary – can you say his last name because I butchered it? Uh,
3: Gary Heseltine.
1: Heseltine, And uh, he is from uh, Prufo's.
3: Proofos, the P- Police Reporting UFO Database, um, yeah. and the website for that is Proofos, P-R-U-F-O-S. And I guess it's time to wrap it up. So, Gary uh, – I guess so. So, Gary, if you are listening, which you're probably not because you're desperately – Right, to get back on the show we've gone <laughs> thanks for coming I'll, <laughs> so anyways, uh, I'll, I'll message him and say thank you in a minute yeah please do I'm sorry
1: that ended that way but uh, Gary uh, <laughs> thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and uh, it was interesting to see it's good to look at a different uh, paranormal subject for a change
3: and yeah. of course there are links to the paranormal itself so maybe you know we can come back to that in a future show there you go alright so uh, for, I guess it's time to say night. god bless everyone